Now we're going to read from God's word. We've been spending two weeks in John chapter 4. This is our second week in John 4. I'm going to read tonight, uh, somewhere in the middle of it, uh, verse 25, uh, to the end of the chapter. John 4, 25 through 54. Jesus has been having a discussion with this woman from Samaria. The woman said to him, Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors." And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after these two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there, was a, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. 
Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight we're going to look at what it is that persuades people to believe. We see a variety of people who who look at Jesus and maybe being introduced to him for the first time, or maybe it's been a succession of times being around him, they, they, they realize, I do believe. I believe Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the one, the one way to God, the key to all of the ages. But, but what is it that's happening with, with these different people? What is it that happens with anyone who gets persuaded that Jesus is not just some stranger? What is it that persuades people to believe that Jesus isn't just this regional celebrity? But what is it that persuades the person to become a believer, to believe in Jesus? In our passage, we see three things that persuade people to believe Jesus. There's witness, there's word, and there are works. And and this frames what we'll look at tonight in this passage. First of all, because Jesus is the savior of the world, we bring witness of Jesus. Then secondly, because Jesus is the savior of the world, we bring the word of Jesus. And then thirdly, because Jesus is the savior of the world, we bring the works of Jesus. And so let's look at each of these. First of all, because Jesus is the savior of the world, we bring witness to of Jesus. Last week, we we examined this woman who had, she had driven her life into the ditch, and she had driven her life into the ditch over men. She She had had five husbands, and now she was sleeping with a sixth man without even bothering to make the marriage commitment. And tonight, we'll look a little bit more at this woman. And in this part of the passage, she is a witness of Jesus. She tells her story of meeting Jesus to other people. That's what we mean by bringing witness. She tells the story of how she met Jesus and what happened, what changed. She's bearing witness of him. Last week we saw how this woman met Jesus, how Jesus deeply engaged with this woman, and how Jesus connected with with her deep existential human thirst, and, and how he connected not only at this philosophical level, not only at a philosophical level, but he he connected with her mixed up and her her messy relationships with men, with many men, and, and how when Jesus met her, he offered to her an acceptance, an acceptance for people who know that they are utterly unacceptable. And and so having encountered Jesus in that way, in in that time with him, she has got to tell people about it. That, that's just what she wants to do. She has to tell people about him. And look at how she does this. This is in verses 28 through 30. The woman left 
her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And this is remarkable. It's remarkable because Jesus brings up her great shame in life, the thing that she didn't want to talk about, her serial attachment to men. He brought up her insatiable dependence on having a relationship with man. And in in that culture, in her culture, her behavior marked her with, with a scarlet letter. She was ostracized. She lived by her own actions in this place of shame and and social rejection. But when this woman began to truly know Jesus, she's got to tell everyone about it. Even though her baggage gets brought to the foreground, in spite of her shame, she has got to tell everyone about it. Verse 28, she goes to the city, she tells the whole city. She tells the whole city, come, see this man who told me all the things that I ever did. I mean, that would, that would be like a book title. That would be like a film title. All the things that I ever did. And for her, that book, that film would be like one of those biographies where there's just a lot of uncomfortable things. That they're painful secrets, hidden secrets. But when a person truly meets Jesus in this way, like this woman did, when a person truly meets Jesus, he will, he will address your darkest secrets. And, and when he does it, when you truly meet him, he'll address your darkest secrets, but you'll just want to make him public. It's this strange combination. And, and you want to not only tell people, but you want to bring people to meet Jesus, to meet this Jesus the way that you did. And, and so that's what she does. She says, come, come see Jesus who told me all the things that I ever did. And, and the people of the city, they already know. They already know what she did, but she wants them to meet the Jesus who dealt with all the things that she did. Now, I have a question for you, for you who are children listening to this, for you who have been in church for many years and you're, you're not children, you're, you're retired. Have you, have you done this? Have you discussed with Jesus all of your great secrets and all of your great shame with Jesus? Have you discussed those things with him? Have you disclosed your big sins to Jesus? And, and when you did it, did Jesus give you an acceptance, an embrace in spite of all of that? You know, it, it is the case that everyone has sin. Some, there are some sins that will not damage your reputation. They just won't damage your reputation. Maybe, maybe independence from God, living independently from God. That will, if that is your sin, that will not make you a pariah. Or, or maybe just an ambivalence about God, towards God. That's not going to make you a social outcast either. <laughs> or maybe you, you have just this inordinate need to be liked and to be affirmed by people. Those are all respectable sins, but they are sins. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you're this kind of person. Maybe you've got sins that would ruin and did ruin your reputation. 
It could be an addiction to substance. It could be an addiction to sex. It could be an addiction to spending. It could be violence, whatever. Whether you have reputable sins or whether you have disreputable sins, have you disclosed them to Jesus? Have you made open, personal confession to Jesus? And, and has, as, as you disclose them, has Jesus taken what you disclosed and has Jesus discarded all of the blame for your sins? And, and have you had that dealing with Jesus where you, where you say to him, Jesus, I have disqualified myself. Would you, would you take my place? Would you be the one who's put out and, and the one who gets put down in my place. And Jesus, would you then accept me? Would you accept me? Not, not on my merits, but on the grounds of your goodness. Have you, have you had that kind of meeting with Jesus, that kind of conversation? Because a Christian, a Christian is a boy or a girl who has gone in front of the court of heaven and had that conversation with Jesus. And the Christian is, is a man or a woman who's, who's gone to the clinic and entered into that kind of covenant with Jesus. And, and this is something that you, you can't inherit from your parents. This is something that you don't receive just by reading a really good theological book and finding that you agree with it. You have got to personally interact with Jesus to get this. And, and when it happens, there's something that will happen to you. When this happens, you will become excited. Look at verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. She left her laptop. She left the keys to her car. She left her phone. And she was so excited. She went into the city and invited people to meet Jesus. No one is telling her, now, now you've got to go do this. You've got to go be a witness. No one's telling her. She's excited. She just wants to do this. If you've been a Christian and, and you've been growing and, and hearing teaching from the scriptures, if you're a Christian, you know that Jesus tells all of us. He tells us, go into all the world and make disciples. There, there's an obligation to missions. There's an obligation to evangelism. We know that. That's, that's part of the purpose of church, why we're still here, why there's a church. It's, it's to spread the gospel news that will bring salvation to strangers, to Christ. But, but maybe for you, when the, when the topic of evangelism comes up, maybe it makes you feel nervous, and you think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to share the gospel, I'm supposed to, to witness to people. And, and you, you, you feel like, I'm scared about that though, I, I'm just not good at it, I, I'm scared to share my faith, I'm, I'm afraid of what people will think if I identify myself with Jesus when I'm in the break room, or, or when the team is, is taking a, a, a break on the side, or, or at the cookout, I'm just afraid of what people will think if I say that. But then you feel this pressure, like, oh, but I have to do it. I know I'm supposed to do it. I'm obligated to share Christ. I have to be a witness. And so if, if that's somewhere where, where you're at, I just want to say this. Believer, I want to urge you to take a step back from all that, and I want to urge you, don't share the gospel out of any kind of guilt. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't share the gospel out of any kind of fear that like, I've got to do it, and if I don't do it, then God will, will come and get me. This is what I want to encourage you to do. Just take a step back from all of that, and I want to, I want to encourage you this way. 
invite, invite people to Jesus out of your own personal excitement. Invite people to, to meet Jesus out of your own delight in Christ. Tell, tell people your own story, your story. Tell people your story of meeting Jesus and how he brought into your life this surpassing delight in him. And so the question is not, have you witnessed to someone? The question is, does your salvation excite you? Does, does your Savior stir you? And, and if, if it doesn't, and, and if he doesn't, okay, you can just be honest about that to yourself, be honest with that before the Lord, and just start there. Just start there with that. And you can just ask yourself, what happened? What happened? Where did the joy of my salvation go? And you can just start there with that, with God. Because I can tell you, when you have Jesus on your mind, when Jesus, when, when Jesus for you sparks joy in you, you don't, you don't have to pressure yourself to be a witness for Jesus. Rather, what you find is you, you find that you're, you're having to moderate yourself and, and you have to hold yourself back so that you're doing it in wisdom, in consideration, in following the spirit and not the flesh. But, but that's what we want to do, though. You want to share the Jesus that you enjoy. This woman was a witness, and she was a witness in her excitement, her excitement about Christ. And do you know what happens when, when someone is that kind of witness? Excitement intrigues people. Excitement, when, when someone hears someone, sees someone who's excited, they're curious. Excitement also can even persuade people. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Let's say that you have a company, and your company makes pretzels and sells pretzels in the grocery stores. And, and now you have this new line of pretzels that you want to introduce to the market, and you want people to buy it. And it's it's mustard-flavored pretzels. Now, how are you going to get people to buy your pretzels? Well, if, if you're a really big company, you could do advertising. You could, you could hire a contract with an advertising firm, come up with a, a campaign, and, and maybe you'll have to spend millions of dollars on cultivating some kind of image, crafting an ad campaign, and, and placing promotions in the media. And that might be how you're going to persuade people to to try your new pretzels. But there's another way that you can persuade people. If your mustard pretzels are so delicious, and you know what? There really were some mustard pretzels that were just fabulous. I love them. That when you try them, the person just lights up. Their eyes light up and they say, wow, this is good. I have never had this before. And, and I can't stop eating them. And and." I want more, and I want to start texting people and telling people, have you tried these? These, were, these are in the store right now. They're incredible. You've got to get some. I, I don't even know if they're going to be around because they're kind of weird, but they're so good. Delight persuades people. And that's what you see here. It's a witness of delight that brings people to Jesus. Verse 30. Then they went out of the city the people in, in the town of, of this Samaritan town, they went out of the city and came to Jesus. Her excited, delight-filled witness 
persuaded them, and they just they came out. They wanted to see, what is she talking about? What's so great? And so for you, believer, for you, believer, bear witness of your delight in Jesus. Maybe it would sound something like this. I, I spent my first 25 years dogged by dissatisfaction, with guilt, but Jesus has satisfied me now. Jesus has cleared my conscience. Or maybe witness for you would be something like this. I wanted the approval of men for so long, and even when I got it, it was never enough. But Jesus gave me an approval that just completely normalized all my relationships. Or maybe this would be what what bearing witness would be for you. I grew up in a middle-class, comfortable home, but I was filled with pride and lusts, and I was a thief. And Jesus revealed all of that to me, and revealing that, he didn't reject me. He rescued me. So because Jesus is the Savior of the world, we, we bring witness of Jesus. Now, secondly, because Jesus is the Savior of the world, we bring the word of Jesus. And you see that here. You see this with this entire Samaritan town, verses 39 through 42. Some people, some people will believe on Jesus because of the persuasive power of someone's witness, someone telling their story of how they met Jesus. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. So some of them believed just because she told her story, she witnessed. And, and you can expect this, this happens. Maybe this is how you came to, to, to church or to Christianity. When, when you share your story with people about how you met Jesus, you might win over some people. So share your story. Tell people your testimony. A witness can win people over. And, and if you are listening to this and you're not a Christian, maybe you're exploring Christianity, you're, you're weighing it, I hope, I hope that you will meet people, maybe even people here, who will tell you their story of, of before Jesus and that they'll tell you their story of, of after Jesus. Witness has its place in persuading people. But the second thing, the word of Jesus also persuades. And and look at what it says here in verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed. Mark this, why did they believe? Because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, her witness, for we ourselves have heard him And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you see the distinction here? For some of them, the witness of that woman drew them to Jesus and they believed. But for others, it's the word. It's the word of Jesus which causes them to believe. And so you see both of that here with the Samaritan town. And so if if you're investigating Christianity, meet people, meet Christians and talk to them and, and hear their stories if they'll share it with you. But you also, if, if you really, if you really want a chance to meet Jesus for yourself, you've got to read the word. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to hear it. You've got to hear the word preached. 
the word, the, the preaching of the word even, it's one of the most normal ways that God discloses Jesus to people. Technically, the word, the word is called one of the ordinary means of grace. It means the Bible is one of the standard ways that God connects with people, contacts people. And so it's no coincidence that one of the, one of the theological names for Jesus is the word. He's called the word, John 1, 14. And Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so do you want, do you want to meet Jesus? Read his word. And you children, do you, do you, do you for yourself want to meet Jesus to know Jesus, read his word. Read it when you're at home. Ask Jesus to speak to you as you're reading his word. Ask Jesus to show himself to you as you're reading and hearing his word. As you come to your Bible, ask the Lord to speak to you. The scriptures are, are supernatural. That's one way that they are unlike any other book. Expect as you read the Bible in good faith, expect the scriptures teach you things, but also expect the word to, to rebuke you, to, to oppose the things that you're thinking and saying and doing. Expect the word to contradict you. Expect it also to train you. And expect it to give you a message from your Father who's in heaven. And as you attempt to share Christ with people, do, tell them. Tell them your testimony, bring your witness, but also bring them the word. Bring them the word. Bring them to hear the word preached. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Bring people to hear the word preached and also give people the word. Give them a copy of the word for themselves to read. Get them a Bible if they want it. We live in a time when it is very easy to supply the scriptures in every common language. Bring them to hear the word preached, give them the word to read, and, and offer to look together at the word, like Philip in Acts 8. Acts 8, it's, just, it's almost like another one of those setups for one of those very stereotypical jokes. A Jew sharing an Uber with a black man, sharing a ride and sharing Christ with him over a discussion about the word. And so because Jesus is Savior of the world, we bring witness of Jesus, we bring the word of Jesus, and then finally, because Jesus is Savior of the world, we bring the works of Jesus. Now, in the history of the Christian church, when Christians were doing well, whether it was in this country or in this region, when Christians were doing well historically, they would bear witness of Jesus they would bring the word of Jesus and preach it and teach it and study it, and they would also bring the works of Jesus into the world. And you can read in history and in so many places about hospitals and orphanages that were built in places of need by Christians. It's just not unusual. And, and you can see schools that were built. You can find wells that were dug which were built by Christians to meet the needs of the people in those places. 
You can find Christians even today who are traveling to disaster regions where there have been hurricanes or where there are refugees, where there's disease, and, and Christians are there trying to help suffering people. The, you could call it the Christian initiative and the, the Christian imperative is to love our neighbors. We do that by, by trying to meet spiritual needs and also by trying to meet physical needs. Both of them. Both of them. Our works adorn the gospel. And so you see this in, in verses 43 through 54. Jesus now travels. He's, he's basically made this sweep through in John so far from Judea up north to Samaria and now up to Galilee, his home region. While Jesus is there, this nobleman, a person who's got position, a person who's got power, he's also a father though. And his son is dying and this father comes to Jesus and he pleads. He says, Jesus, please, my son is dying. Heal him. Don't let him die. A, a parent is coming to Jesus with a worried heart. A parent's coming to Jesus with a breaking heart. And he says, Jesus, please heal him. Now, I, I don't know where you are tonight, but this was always happening with Jesus. People came to Jesus with their broken hearts. And so bring your broken hearts to Jesus and what does Jesus do when, when people do that? Jesus stops this son from dying. Jesus healed people. He healed many people. He gave just plain old medical help. There were hospitals worth full of people who came in the multitudes for healing. And Jesus healed every single one of them. These are some of the works of Jesus. The medical healing. And and. We want to be very clear about this. It was just medical healing. The medical healing that he did did not deal with their guilty conscience. They were two separate things. For instance, think of the man. This one man where Jesus clearly gave medical healing, but then separately Jesus addressed his spiritual healing. And he told the man, see, you have been made well. Stop sinning or something worse will come to you. And so we see that Jesus came to both deal with our spiritual sickness, our sin, but he also came to deal with physical sickness, all that's broken, everything that's broken in this fallen world, both. And by, by this work of good, in this example here in Galilee, the healing, the nobleman comes to believe in Jesus Verse 53, so the father knew that it was at the same hour that Jesus spoke and healed his son, in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household believed. Do you see how the good works of Jesus, not just witness, not just the word, but even the good works of Jesus spoke to this man and spoke to his people and they believed in Jesus. And so Jesus is calling us, church, he's calling us to also to do good, to do good in this suffering world. He's calling us to advocate for the care of the unborn. He's calling us in this world to pursue racial reconciliation and justice. He's calling us in this world to be generous to the poor. 
He, he's calling us in this world to welcome the stranger, the alien, the immigrant. And, and here's one particular way to bring the works of Jesus to the world. Verse 40, back in that Samaritan city, there's something there that's remarkable and startling. It says in verse 40, the Samaritans had come to Jesus and they urged Jesus to stay with them. And then it says, he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Here's the aspect that's remarkable and jarring. One of the good works of Jesus that you see here is just, it's the good work of presence. Presence. Jesus put his presence for two days with the people of this Samaritan city. Do you know why that's remarkable? Why that was jarring? It's because Jesus was a Jew. And Samaritans disgusted Jews. Jews would not stay. And Jews would not associate with Samaritans. Jews would not put their presence with Samaritans. And it even says that in verse 9. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And what you see here is Jesus remained with these people who were repulsive. And the question for us is, whom do you find repulsive? Who will you not be with or worship with or live with or work with? And can you offer your presence in those places? Because Jesus did not avoid those who are contaminated. Another way to consider this, what, what people, what places do your traditions avoid? What people or places do your traditions avoid? Do you, do you traditionally avoid getting into real relationships with people of, of certain political persuasions? Blue will not be with red. Red will not be with blue. Do you traditionally avoid people of certain ethnicities? Do you traditionally avoid people who have very different morals? Do you, do you traditionally just not have much to do with people from a different economic status or a different educational status? But in spite of tradition, what I'm asking church is, can you put your presence into a place that you previously have never been? When Jesus gave the gift of his presence to the Samaritan city, and then they came to understand, it says in verse 42, they said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the savior of the world, to Jews and to non-Jews. Now, you need all three of these. You need witness, you need word, and you need the works. We don't do well if we neglect any of those three, witness, word, or works. For instance, if we only if we only emphasize the word and how we try to share the gospel and how we try to do evangelism, if we only emphasize the word, exclude witness, exclude works, well, that's, that's exactly where the, the Samaritan woman initially wanted to just keep things with Jesus. She just wanted to discuss word differences. She wanted to keep the conversation only planted in theological differences, and it would have gone no farther than that. But she needed to know her sins. She needed to know that Jesus receives sinners. She needed more than only the word. But if we only emphasize witness, 
personal sharing of our story. If we only emphasize witness in our evangelism and we don't bring in the word and we don't bring in the works, well, here's the problem with only witness. In that Samaritan town, there were some people who believed because, just because of that woman's witness. But as we see as the verse went on, they also needed the presence of Jesus and they also needed the word of Jesus and then many believed. And so, if you only emphasize the works of Jesus and you leave out witness and you leave out the word and you only emphasize the works, the good works in your evangelism, in, in mission, maybe distributing shelter, distributing food, but there's no witness. There's no use of the word. Well, that was the problem in that Galilean town. Verse 44, Jesus as a prophet has no honor in his own country. And Jesus says, you people, this is how you see me. You just want to see signs and wonders. You just see me as an urgent care clinic. You just see me as a charitable donor for the needs of society. Just a name on a hospital. But they they would never come to know Jesus as Christ and Savior unless witness and word were brought to bear. Our evangelism needs all three, witness and the word and the works. We've got various ministries here. There's the the neighborhood visitation and neighborhood evangelism. I'm so thankful for that. There's the reading club, the the diaper distribution. And with all those things, we want to bring witness and we want to bring the word and we want to bring the works of Jesus. But we're not just talking about structured ministries where like, okay, there's this time and the schedule where, where they do that stuff. This, this, this applies to just your individual lives. This applies to your, your family relationships. This applies to your workplace. This applies to where you live, the people you just socialize with when you're just being a normal human in your community. Who around you is brokenhearted? Who around you has needs? Who around you is traditionally untouchable? Jesus is the savior of the world. Do you have presence with those people? As, as we close, I want to touch on this, this kind of curious discussion that's nestled in here between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, you could call them, and his interns. Verses 31 through 30. Jesus tells them, this is, this, all this stuff that we're about, guys, he says, this is like a harvest. And he says, these are the days to be harvesting. He says, these are the days to be promoting the gospel, not just sitting around and waiting and saying, well, in four more months, then it'll be time. He says, these are the days to invite people to Jesus. And so Jesus tells his disciples, and he's telling us, he tells them, work, work for the spiritual harvest. Work at sharing the gospel in witness and in word and in works. He's saying, live for this, guys. Live to spread gospel words and works. Live to spread it to all kinds of people in all kinds of places, especially in the places that other people avoid. And Jesus said, doing this harvest work, Jesus says, for me, doing this harvest work, he says, this is my bread. This is my bread and butter. He's saying, I live for this. And and Jesus is calling you to also live for the harvest, investing your hours in, in being a presence in the lives of people who are outside of your tradition, spending your days bringing healing, bringing help, 
bringing life to broken people, pouring out your life to speaking the word and, and teaching of Christ. Jesus saw the entire world. He saw the entire world as if it were a harvest field for salvation. He, he saw the whole world as people who need the savior of the world. And it was so much so that Jesus lived for gospel plowing and gospel planting. And, and he wants you to expect that as you do this, you are, you are joining this unending chain of fellow laborers who have been putting their hands to the plow, who have been sowing the seeds. And he wants you to expect that what happened in that Samaritan town where just the whole town embraces Jesus, he wants you to expect in your faithful labors, he wants you to expect a gospel harvest that, that you would see someone you know coming to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus said the fields are now white unto harvest. How important was the, the harvest to Jesus? How important was it to Jesus that people believe and that they be saved? It was so important that he lived for it. It was so important that he would die for it. In John 12, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In the gospel, Jesus is the single grain of wheat that falls into the ground and died. And by his death and resurrection, and by our witness, the world is ripe for harvest. Could, could Jesus have some person for you or some place for you somewhere, somehow? Maybe they're outside of where you're comfortable, your circle of comfort, but could Jesus have some place that he wants you, maybe for the first time, to place your presence and perhaps as you do that, they will believe. Let me just close with this illustration. I, I am not a great evangelist. I'm not good at it. Most of the times when I try to share the, the gospel, I look back on it and it just, it's incredibly clumsy and ill-timed and I just think that was not something to replay on video. I'm not good at it, but years ago, I knew I was gonna have a trip because of work, business was going to take me from, from here in Virginia to California. And I knew that there were going to be four flights, two legs on the way out to California, two legs on the way back from California. And I wondered, with all those hours that I would be sitting on an airplane, sitting next to a stranger, I wondered if, if I might have a chance to share Christ with someone. And I was even worse at it back then than, than I went, am now. But I did know this. I knew I could pray ahead of time. And, and so a few weeks before my flight, I just started to pray. Uh, I confessed that I wasn't good at it. But I also said, Lord, I want to, to do this. And so I asked, Lord, with these, these flights that are coming up, Lord, would you please give me a chance to share the gospel with someone on these flights, if it would be your will? And so it finally came. I had been praying for a few weeks. And it was the day of the trip. And... I was on the first flight, and I was like, kind of excited, kind of expecting, thinking, okay, I prayed about it, and 
the guy next to me just wanted to sleep. He was kind of crabby. It was 8, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and there just no door opened. The second flight, the longer leg to California, still no, no door really opened. Coming back from California, the third flight, I was in this long, confusing, directionless conversation with someone that I, I think they might not have all been there. I, I, I don't know. And then finally, the fourth and the final flight, Within 10 minutes after we took off, the young man I was sitting next to asked me, literally, what must I do to be saved? And we talked about Jesus. We talked about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You don't have to be a great evangelist to be a good witness. You can be a witness to your own story of how you met Jesus. And, and you can just bring the simple word of the gospel and you can adorn the gospel by your good works. And then people will glorify their fa your Father who is in heaven. You can do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for the times when our hearts just feel flat about you, we pray, Lord, that we would come back to you and, and you would take us out of our lukewarmness and that we would know the, the love of God towards us in Christ that can't be measured for height or breadth or depth or length. And Lord, we pray that we would echo back our love for you. And, and Lord, would there be sweetness and delight that characterizes our living experience of being Christians. And Lord, we pray that from that, we would have a delight that we just want to talk about Jesus to others. And we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to use us with all the mistakes that we made, with all of our remaining sin. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to share the joy and the freedom and just how our lives are all wrapped up in Christ now. We ask that you would bring others in. We believe that the, the fields are white unto harvest. Be pleased to send us out, Lord, and to bring in the harvest. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.